Okay, everybody, I'd like to introduce Lynn Nichols to you. Let's give Lynn a warm welcome. Thank you, everybody. Warm being the order of the morning. Yes, I did take off a layer. Thank you. you. Yeah, well, Lynn, um, you've started a conversational English class in the life of the church, and uh, I want to know what it is that prompted you to do that. Well, there were a number of things that prompted me to do um, conversational English. So the first one was some previous conversations that I've had with Michaela um, about ESOL, and also our initiation from Eric and Lorraine Walker in 2016 to run some ESOL classes. Um, but also uh, something really exciting is the amount of um, people that we have coming to this church now from different cultures, mm. which is really wonderful to see. We have a couple sitting down here now. Um, so those things were big prompts. Um, obviously, I come from a background of teaching, yep. which I started at Bethlehem College, and I never knew it was going to lead to ESOL, and I took one paper, but actually that's where I ended up. And um, it was a great journey for me, and I ended up teaching ESOL at Bethlehem College, and I ended up in leadership. And then I went on, and I did a thesis, and worked in Fiji, and then I came back, and then I worked into a migrants program at Polytech in leadership developing programs there. So, yeah, it's quite so, a journey to get here. So this is what I do, and this is what I love. Cool. So what are the challenges that you face doing a class like this? Uh, some of the challenges are we have an open door policy, and that means anybody can join any time. So yeah. it's always um, a problem, in, well, not a problem, but there's always a challenge of different levels of English and how you meet those levels. So um, what we find is because of that, we tend to write our own resources. Okay. And I often do that in the way of um, role plays, actually. All right. So we will ask the students or the people that come, what do you want? What do yep. you want to talk about? And okay. um, they come up with some really interesting topics. That so things that they'd normally be dealing with in the, in the reg regular week? Yes, often it's everyday English. It's yeah. things like going to the doctor, yeah. how do I connect, ask for Wi-Fi, internet. It might be things like um, parent-teacher interviews. And for everyone it's different, but it's what connects them into the community. It's what they need. Yeah. And so it's really vital that... They have those, it seems sort of funny to do role plays, but it's practice for them to speak English, to learn new vocabulary, yeah. and to have some kind of scaffolding to do it, really. And we have a lot, and it often happens all at once. It's often chaos. They're all speaking at once, but the main thing is they're speaking. Good. Do you ever get them to phone the Spark call centre? Or is... Because <laughs> that would be sort of right at the top end of understanding. Yes. Yeah, I yes. just wondered. Anyway, we're off subject. So how's it all, how's it all going anyway? It's going, it's going great. We were going to be very small, but yeah. we've actually had, 20, I've got on my register 29 yeah, um, fantastic. people that have come along, all different cultures, and they don't come every week yeah. and every night it's since May. Um, but it seems, to, and we have cultures from China, uh, Korea, and the Philippines too. Tom from Wigan wanted to join um, oh. before earlier on, eh? Hey, like, yo, hey, yo. I just thought I'd come along and learn a bit of the Queen's English. Yeah. He, he'd be welcome. I, I would love to talk to him because that's the other thing is listening to different accents is really yeah. important. And learning our Kiwi accent, 
that's the most fun thing to we teach. We don't have an accent. Though. Oh, yes, we do. Oh. Think of teacher. How do you say teacher? Teacher. Aha. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> teacher. That's yeah. a Kiwi accent. Is that right? It's just like we don't, I don't, well, I can say computer, but actually I, we say computer. And that's yeah, what they want. They want yeah. colloquial conversation. They want easy English. Oh, that's good. Oh, I can see how you have a lot of fun with that, I imagine. We have a lot of fun. I love the talking all at once. It, it takes a bit of preparation, but we set it up so that they have to work in pairs and they do role plays and they're all speaking, often all at once, lots of laughter, lots of chaos. Yeah. Um, but that's the aim, is talking. Cool. Mm. Oh, that's great. How can we pray for you, Lynn? Um, just pray for, I suppose, the, the biggest things is I have a team now, which is really great, and pray for that the team can continue to find creative ways to develop resources, to deliver English that they want. Yeah. But most of all, I think I'd really like to pray, part of our design passion for running conversational English is to connect these people into communities. Yeah. And they find it really hard. And so I'm really hoping that our church is going to be one of those places that makes this happen. Breaks down that isolation. Yeah. Mm. And for just, yeah, continued creativity, resources, and connections. Yeah. Mm. Well, thanks for doing it. Okay, thank I can you. see you're enjoying it. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I love let's, it. let's join together in prayer. Father, we want to thank you that Lynn and Lorraine started this program. And we thank you for those who have come along and uh, are putting themselves in a place of learning that position of saying, I need to know more. And we just want to pray, Lord, that not only would language be learned, but community would be experienced and uh, these walls of isolation are broken down. Lord, you've reminded us that our yoke is easy, our burden is light because of your presence amongst us. And so I just want to pray for Lynn that uh, in this time of leadership, Lord, she'd do this easily and do it well and just thoroughly enjoy the experience. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd continue to bless this group, allow it to grow, allow people to be knitted in and experience fellowship and language. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Lynn. Okay. Let's give her a hand. That's fantastic. Okay. Well, we continue on our series, second time around, of the subject called Who Me? Who Me? Because we're asking the question, how is it that people come from one place of beginning a life journey and then slowly getting to a point where they experience more and more responsibility? And we saw that last week, didn't we, when we looked at those three mighty men that served, um, served David when he was outside of Bethlehem, the township, and uh, wanted a drink of water. And so this week we're going to look at a character who we find in Acts chapter 8, chasing chariots, chasing chariots. And this person is called Philip. But before we get much further into the story, we need to um, just work out which Philip we're talking about. Because we've got um, two Philips in Scripture, and... Again, two Philips in Scripture, and the first one comes to us as one of the twelve, Philip the disciple, and uh, he has friend, his friends with Andrew the disciple and Peter the disciple, and they come from a town called Bethsaida, and these folks were called by Jesus to be his disciple, and so we find them all throughout the Gospels being spoken of and spoken to by Jesus. And at one particular point, we find Philip being asked directly by Jesus to feed the 5,000, and Philip does the maths and figures that we can't actually do this, and so Jesus presents the miracle. 
And so this is Philip the disciple, not to be confused with Philip the evangelist. Philip the evangelist appears to us in the book of Acts and uh, has a completely different background. What we can only assume is that during Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem through the preaching of Peter, uh, he was swept up in that number when the 3,000 were baptized right at the beginning of the formation and the foundation of the church. And you'll remember at the time that the Holy Spirit fell and people spoke in different tongues, tongues that were new to them, they'd never experienced speaking in a different language before, but what occurred is that people could hear their own languages being spoken. And so there was a gathering at that time of Jews from all over the world. And Philip, Philip the evangelist, was from a Greek background. And being Greek, he spoke Greek. Greek was his first language. Uh, you'll probably find it in your, in your Bible talking about the Hellenists. Hellenist was uh, uh, a, a, essentially another name for Greek speaking and from that Hellenistic culture. But what we find here is that Philip has now emerged as somebody who can be trusted, somebody who has the ability to take responsibility. And so we find Philip starting to appear in the book of Acts, and we'll read that in a moment. But what we see here is a class distinction. You see, Philip the evangelist came from a Greek background, making him a second-class Jew. How do you become a second-class Jew? Well, you become a second-class Jew when you don't read the Hebrew Bible. Hebrew is not your first language, as it wasn't for Philip. So Philip would have, would have gone to a Greek-speaking synagogue, which were around the country, and they had a number of them in Jerusalem, even during the time of Jesus. And so being a Greek-speaking Jew, he would have taken his scriptures from a book called the Septuagint. The Septuagint, okay, which literally, literally translated means the book of the 70. You see, some hundreds of years beforehand, a group of 70 scholars had got together and had translated the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we know it, into Greek. But of course, this isn't the language that God speaks, as people might say, okay, because God spoke in Hebrew initially, and so therefore to be speaking God's word in Greek was to be sort of second class, not quite as good as the Hebrew. And we can understand why they say this, because a lot of the Hebrew language, when it was written down, was done in a poetry form. And as we understand, when you translate poetry, rhyme, rhythm uh, into another language, you lose some of that. Does that make sense? So therefore, you can understand why the Septuagint was uh, acceptable, but always seen as second class. And so Philip turns up, and uh, he's the second class Jew, captured up at Pentecost with thousands of other people, and the world is alight with expectation. Expectation that Jesus is going to return. A lot of the New Testament scriptures that we read are under this overriding impression that Jesus is going to turn up very soon, very soon. And uh, they failed to read the small print that the gospel had to go to the ends of the earth uh, and essentially back again before Jesus will come, and we still live with that expectation today that his return will be imminent. But for Jesus, sorry, for, for Philip, he was starting to immerse himself in this community. And there was a challenge that was starting to appear amongst the Jewish community when they were gathering around, being ministered to by the disciples, having prayer meetings morning and night, and, and seeing God outwork amazing miracles. What happened was there was the breaking of bread and the sharing and distribution of food. And there came a little bit of trouble because some of the Hellenist 
women, some of the widows in particular, were missing out. They didn't have men to advocate for them. And so the story started to emerge that these women were being overlooked. And it probably was true, overlooked, and therefore the gospel and all the justice that goes with the gospel and love was being hypocritical. There wasn't enough food for these women. And so the apostles decided that they had to fix this up. So this is what we read in Acts chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, there's our man, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So there's our man Philip. He's appearing here, and uh, his first responsibility is to wait on tables. So what's Philip going to learn? Because when we look at people in Scripture, they never just arrive fully formed. We heard Ray and Louisa this morning making reference to Samuel the prophet, the one who couldn't hear the voice of God as a child, and then he was trained how to hear the voice of the Lord. So here we have Philip from a Hellenist background. He turns up, he's invited because he's obviously been able to be identified as a leader amongst them, men full of the Holy Spirit and, and, and have favor with people. And so he goes on this journey under the authority of the apostles, invited to step up, and he's invited to wait on tables, to distribute food. And so what Philip's doing here is he's working cross-culturally, isn't he? Because he's Greek, the apostles are Jewish in the fullest form of the word, and there's this mixture of women and men who are needing food, and so he's working cross-culturally. Now let me be sensitive and state something a little bit more obvious at the same time, uh, when these women became widows, they become self-dependent, okay? Because there are only, um, there's only so much food to go around, and if they didn't have a husband doing their bidding for them, these women had to get in there and seek it for themselves. Now, I don't want to get too extreme in my illustration here, but uh, it could be a fearful thing, facing up to a dozen widows who are looking out for themselves. And so I would suggest that Philip learnt lots of things like diplomacy, uh, issues of justice, and uh, how to push back on those who are pushing on him. And so there was a big lesson to learn here being a servant leader. Okay, but clearly he did a good job because we never hear anything more about this. And so what happens here is, um, is, is, the, is the, this apostle in the making is learning to be a servant. He's learning to be a servant. And this is a high calling for every person, isn't it? Every person who is a follower of Jesus needs to be a servant first before they can be anything else. And often it's that lack of servanthood that will tip somebody up or over later on in the years ahead. And uh, so God always wants to graft that into uh, this place in their heart. Now, we follow the book of Acts through, and it's a very, very quick book. Everything's changing. It's very dramatic. And so persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. 
and there's this uh, sense in which the whole of the, the church is just going to be blown to bits by this persecution. Stephen, one of the uh, early disciples, was stoned to death. And in this persecution, people fled the city. Now, the interesting point that I want to make here is one that I think we lose because we have often just assumed that Philip in the book of Acts is Philip, the disciple of Jesus, but not. Two different people. And, and we've got a, an amazing thing happens here. You see, Luke, the gospel, who wrote the, the Gospel of Luke and who wrote also the book of Acts, he has um, followed Peter, the apostle, and John right through the early chapters of the book of Acts. And there's good reason to follow them because Peter's been given the keys to the kingdom as he was given by Jesus, and it's his preaching that unlocks the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the establishment of the church. And we follow him through and we see Peter and John uh, being used by God to heal the man, the beggar at the temple gates, beautiful. And he's, he's raised up. Then they get persecuted again by the Pharisees and they get a beating. And, uh, and then it moves on to this persecution time. But what happens now is there's this shift. For a couple of chapters, Luke starts to record how this non-Jewish person, this Greek, this Hellenist, is now being used by God to bring the gospel, bring the gospel to other nations. And it's quite a significant shift. And so we read here in Acts chapter 8, um, it says here, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is a hugely significant shift because they're saying that this first culture, this first culture, the Jewish people, the Hebrew-speaking Jewish people, who had been used by God to bring Jesus forth into the world, who, who, who were the disciples of Jesus, now there's this shift and transition in power. We're finding that this Hellenist, this Greek, is being used to do evangelism outside of Jerusalem. And, and so what we find here is that this will-be apostle, Philip, is now going into Samaria to preach the gospel. And what we have to remind ourselves is just how much uh, enmity, how much anger there was between the Samaritans and the Jews. And we've already seen in the Gospels how many times the Samaritans were spoken of poorly, weren't they? And even when Jesus went through Samaria, the disciples didn't want to stay there. And when they found Jesus ministering to a Samaritan woman, they didn't want to really have anything to do with this. So we find this enmity that was always there. So what happens? God uses somebody from a different culture to go into the Samaritan nation and preach the gospel of Jesus. And so this multicultural mission is God's way of reaching the nations, which makes us stop and pause when we see how it is that throughout the world today, God is blending the nations, isn't he? Immigration's happening all over the world, there's this overlap of nations and people living side by side, street by street, house by house, people working together. And when I see in New Zealand the immigration of Polynesians, when I see the immigration of Asian folks coming into New Zealand, I see so many of them 
loving and living the faith. South Africans, of course, with lots of them. How South Africans amongst us? Put your hands up from Zim. Look at that. Welcome. You see, I want to welcome every person who is not born in this nation but might have English as a second language because you are essentially doing what Philip was called to do. That is, go to a nation and maybe God is going to use you to win New Zealanders when you say, let me tell you about the Jesus that has been part of your nation, but you haven't taken notice of him. Because there's a hard-hearted bunch of New Zealanders out there that I personally, as a New Zealand-born Kiwi, find very, very difficult to reach. But maybe God is going to use the tender hearts of the Asians. Maybe God is going to use the South Africans. Maybe God is going to use people from different nations to get alongside the Samaritans amongst us in New Zealand here and to be able to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ because they have a way about them which is different to the average Kiwi way. Maybe there's a curiosity factor. Why did you come to this nation? Whom do you serve? Oh, Jesus is at the center of your life? I've heard of him. Tell me more. Could this be part of God's strategy for this nation? But certainly was the strategy for the Samaritans. And you can see this cross-cultural mission occurring here. And because of this, there's great joy in the city. And the joy only increases because they send away for Peter and John. Uh, that is, Philip sends away for Peter and John. They come from Jerusalem to Samaria and they start praying for people and there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so great joy, great rejoicing in Samaria. You know, this hated race of people now received the gospel, and you can only imagine how much head-scratching was going on amongst those Jewish leaders, those original disciples in Jerusalem when they saw that God had poured out His Spirit amongst those whom they had despised, using somebody else from a different background, being a Hellenist Greek, to do the bidding of God. And you can start to see this. Isn't it exciting? When you see how God just fuses these people together, to ensure that the gospel goes out. And so we find Philip now has gone from being a servant, waiting on tables, to now being an apostle and an evangelist. And an apostle was somebody who makes and breaks ground for Jesus. Okay, New territory, new ground, new mission, new churches, new opportunities. Somebody who's always at the, on the front edge, that leading edge of leadership and that leading edge of discipleship and introducing people to Jesus. And so when we read this story, we know that Philip has more to him than just waiting on tables, but he had to wait on tables before God would use him. And when, the, when life seemed to be really tough for Philip, when the persecution breaks out, God uses that as an opportunity for him to go to nations that he probably never, ever expected to go to. And God is using him because Philip is putting God first. Therefore, he's open to what God wants to do, and God surprises him. Well, he has another big surprise coming up for Philip, doesn't he? And uh, Philip is down on the, the desert road, okay, the one just out of Samaria, not the one in Tongariro National Park. Okay, just make sure you're right here. We know NIV is the North Island version, but let's not get too localized. Okay, um, so here is Philip at the desert road. And an angel of the Lord speaks to him. 
And we're not so sure who this angel is because literally the angel means messenger. Uh, it doesn't say, uh, you know, it doesn't, be, it doesn't be specific, but we can look at this and say, this is a, uh, an angel from God, somebody who is a heavenly body who has somehow connected with Philip and said, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to go down to the desert road. And so he prompt, he's prompted, he goes down to the desert road, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Okay, so we have an angel, now the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to run alongside that chariot over there. And there's this chariot. Now, Philip has been schooled up in cross-cultural mission, but now he's got a whole new challenge at a whole different level. Because he sees in that chariot an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, the Ethiopian would have been of a completely different color, okay? And a completely different first language. But not only that, he was a eunuch. He had literally been castrated so that he could work in the palace of the Queen Candace from Ethiopia. So when we talk today about all the challenges that we see many people facing about their sexual identity... You know, with uh, transgender, uh, people replacing their gender, and uh, all this sort of gender reorientation that goes on. We can get all concerned about this and say, this is really, really difficult. But Philip would just simply say, get alongside their chariot. Get alongside their chariot. Talk to them. Befriend them. Because this is what the Holy Spirit asked Philip to do with somebody who had a dubious sexuality. Okay? Philip gets alongside this chariot, and as God would have it, here is this Ethiopian eunuch reading the scriptures, and as they always did in this day, they always read scripture out loud. They never read it to themselves in their mind. That didn't come until hundreds of years later. Scripture was always read out orally. And what should he be reading as Philip runs up alongside him? You know, it's, uh, in uh, paintings of Philip the Evangelist, He's always the scrawny, athletic-looking guy. Um, why, I don't know, really. Just because he could run next to a chariot. You know, I was scrawny, athletic once. I was at this moment in time, but you wouldn't paint me in that way now. So um, here he is. Here's the, the eunuch reading out loud these words. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is a silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. And um, Philip asks a really simple question. He says, do you, do you know what you're reading? Do you know what that's all about? And he goes, no. Why don't you get up on my chariot and explain it to me? And so this is Philip now literally getting on board, on board with this Ethiopian eunuch, a man of different background. But he'd already been to Jerusalem. He'd been worshiping the living God, but he didn't understand Jesus. He didn't understand Jesus. He may well have heard about this phenomenon. It'd be hard to have missed it, especially when 3,000 people have been baptized in Jerusalem. But here he is. He's getting a detailed breakdown of what this Jesus is all about and who the prophet Isaiah is talking about. And so we can only imagine what the conversation was like, but Philip would have steered this Ethiopian eunuch back to the scripture 
and explained the ministry of Jesus and explained how Jesus suffered and was crucified for our sins because essentially this is what that passage talks about in Isaiah, about the lamb, about the, uh, him being afflicted and oppressed and upon him our sins were placed. And so the story continues on and it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Okay? Talk about cheap transport. This is cheaper than a Tesla. Um, okay, Holy Spirit travel. Okay, pretty unique experience, isn't it? Uh, you know, to be met by an angel, to be spoken to by the Holy Spirit, and then somehow he's translated to another place. Okay, but what we see here is that the response of the Ethiopian eunuch is one of repentance and baptism. Okay? So Philip takes him down to this water, as we're going to see in the second service with Sean, and uh, goes from this, this place of understanding the big God, but never understood whom the prophet Jesus was, who died for his sins. And so he is baptized. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about Philip today is because under the series called Who Me, what we're seeing here is somebody who has gone from a, a, a sort of modest background at a spiritual level, somebody who was a Greek-speaking second-class Jew who turns up at Jerusalem at the right time. And next thing you know, out of persecution, when he least expected it, he became a cross-cultural missionary. Yeah? Some of you have been called to this nation to be cross-cultural missionaries. And I say, thank you for coming. And even if you've been in a situation where your circumstances were tough, i.e. persecuted in your hometown, in your home country, then I say thank you for your obedience to be here amongst us because the average Kiwi are as hard hard as any old average Samaritan would have been. So I thank you and maybe God has given you a mission to this nation, to the people in your workplace, to the people in your neighborhood. Wherever you come from, I say haere mai and welcome. Be part of great, that great plan of God. That great plan of God. And you know, Lynn's got all these missionaries, 29 of them in her class now, earning conversational English, and they will graduate when they can go to the Spark Call Center and arrange a new phone listing, yeah? Yeah, once you can do that, you've, you've got, your, uh, got your certificate. So, here is Philip on this journey. And he, he's got to this place now. Now, this is a funny sort of way to end this. Because Philip disappears, not only literally from that, that pool of water where he disappears, but we don't hear anything more of Philip until we get to, to Acts chapter 20. Um, hold on, running, running away with myself here. Uh, said here that Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Okay, so this is the last we hear of Philip until we get to Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 20, for, for, for the majority of the book of Acts, you've got the Apostle Paul. Okay, and it's Paul's journey pretty much after Philip disappears. 
literally disappears to Caesarea. And so we follow the Apostle Paul, his conversion from Saul to Paul, all the way through. And Paul is now on his way back to Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to be caught and captured. Okay? On his way back to Jerusalem, he goes through this town called Caesarea, uh, which is familiar to him. It was a familiar place in his childhood. And... uh, And here we find Philip again. This is Paul talking, or Luke talking about Paul and him. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, it's interesting how Luke identifies Philip as one of those seven original servants who waited on tables. Okay, so here's Philip being spoken of by Luke the writer, referring back to the time when he was first introduced to us in this book of, of, of the book of Acts. But notice how Philip probably had a huge lifetime task ahead of him. Okay? He raised a family for God. And for all of the experiences and all of the endeavors that God might put us through, I say that raising a family, that your four daughters, your four unmarried daughters might prophesy, would be the biggest challenge of all. Not in a funny, ha-ha, negative way, but honestly, to have four daughters who are unmarried, and the uh, historians talk about these daughters in later books outside of the scripture as dying, still unmarried. What it's saying here is that these women had dedicated their lives to God in such a way that they put being single and being a prophet above all things. And so you can see the the measure of this man, Philip, can't you? From a servant who waited on tables to somebody who became a cross-cultural missionary to the Samaritans, to somebody who was prepared to run alongside the chariot and engage with somebody from a different color, different different language, and a dubious sexual orientation to get alongside this person and to be able to preach the gospel uh, to these nations. And historians credit the evangelist with the church that was born in Ethiopia and and went for centuries and centuries and centuries. And of course, the Samaritan villages were all grouped up together at a time later on about 70 AD when Rome came in but the gospel spread through this person. And so there are times when we are asked to be chasing chariots. And uh, sometimes we might think, God, this is just so super weird. This is just strange, these conversations that I've been called to have. And yet you will find that God will take these everyday conversations, these everyday promptings, and use you to extend his kingdom. But today I just want to really highlight those who are migrants to New Zealand. Those who weren't born in the Tauranga Hospital or the Waikato Hospital or, uh, I was going to say, the back seat of the Zephyr. There goes Roger. Um, In New Zealand. But born in another country. How many of you are here? Put your hand up, who are born in another country. That's a lot of people. 
Just stand up. Could you just stand up? I didn't realize there'd be so many. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Sit down. You're the Phillips amongst us. You're the Phillips amongst us. Some of you have come and learnt new languages. Some of you have learnt how to say the word teacher. Okay? But you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And my heart's desire today is that having seen how God causes his apostles to work cross-culturally, sometimes coming out of persecution, always coming out of servanthood, that you would be encouraged today and that we as Christians in this community would be encouraged to welcome you and see, yes, these folks who were born outside of New Zealand are part of God's great plan to be able to evangelize the nations. Why don't we all stand for prayer? Father, we thank you for Philip, who, like all of us, can say, who me? Seemingly starting off from a place of servanthood, and yet every move that he took seemed to be another step in you trusting him. And so, God, we thank you that as we look at this story, we see how it is that you take us from humble beginnings and you can use all of us in any given situation. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who have come here to this country, bringing Christ, knowing Christ, and putting them in a place where they can share their love for Jesus, to be able to take what it is they've been given in a faraway land and to bring it here under the guidance of your Spirit, to be able to talk to people just in the way Philip did, is to be able to demonstrate the gospel so great joy will be experienced by others who meet you along the way. And so, Father, we pray also for them that they might, like Philip, raise godly families. Whatever is done, we pray that you keep working in the lives of their children and their children's children as they're grafted not only into the gospel, but grafted into this culture and this country of New Zealand. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for scripture. that just shows us that these journeys have been had before and successfully done to glorify you. So we praise you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you've done and all you're doing in our land as we become a blended nation with stories and color and culture and language and experiences that glorify you. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.